lifepodcasts.fm. This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind. My guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind is officially my hero. And as of today, my friend, I can't say that quite openly. She's my hero not because she's an international model and has featured in the Pirelli calendar with Whoopi Goldberg, P. Diddy, Naomi Campbell, although that's pretty cool. She's not my hero because she's graced magazine covers right to becoming the first person with albinism on, to grace the cover of Vogue, 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 though that's pretty cool too. She's not my hero because she started modeling at the age of 23 by mistake when most modeling careers are winding down and she's not even my hero because she's a prosecutor as well as being a poet and an activist and she's not my hero because she made the BBC 100 most influential woman in 2018 all these things are awesome and we do celebrate that she is my hero though because outside of all of that she never ever compromises her truth and in realizing her enoughness she reminds us that we are all enough Tando Khopa, welcome to Africa State of Mind oh, Literally, wow, that is hero. such a moving introduction <laughs> we try, we try, we try oh, thank you very much for having me oh my gosh, I'm like, you know, like last night I don't think I slept just thinking <laughs> about this interview, no literally I was almost going to tweet you, then I thought what if I tweet her and then she doesn't show up <laughs> Like, I can't wait to interview you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do my best to keep my commitments. I think integrity is important. So if I say I'll come, I'll come. Oh, we love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining uh, the this episode. I think it's going to be one of the most important um, episodes that we have because we have people from all around the continent. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many people are going to be inspired by your story. Uh, and I also think that just we're going to learn so much from you. So I'm really excited about that. I really wish I had like my notebooks. So I could like write notes. <laughs> Thank you But now uh, Tando Just talk to us A little bit about Just your upbringing From what I understand You grew up in Lanesia So for people Who are not from Gauteng, Joburg South Africa Explain the interesting Dynamic of uh, Lanesia So Lanesia South Is classified As a township Mm -hmm. Um, It was Predominantly Indian And You know It was quite A mixed Community Because I mean, you had black people, colored people, and Indian people, but it was predominantly Indian. Mm. So I kind of grew up um, in a very pigmented society. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, everybody was pigmented around me, my parents, everybody, my sisters, yeah. um, my friends, my community. And I kind of was the only person who looked the way I did. Mm. And I grew up having you know having my grandmother sing to me and through the songs she would teach me stories about our history and it was just a a beautiful experience because I think she left me a repository of so much culture and tradition and history through these songs Um, but also I went to school in Lanasia South and Mm -hmm. I think it was an interesting time because as much as I was the only person who looked the way I did in my mm. community, I never really realized that up until I went to school. Because wow. even when I was in crash, I never realized mm. it. Uh, children never made me realize mm. it. I only started realizing it when I actually went to primary school, wow. grade one. Yeah. And, um, and I think that is where a very interesting journey began. Mm. Because I think I started learning sort of the concept of othering. Mm. Um, because I mean the whole time when I was 
at home and I was my father and my mother's princess and my grandfather like adored me. Yeah. He actually named me Amangwevo Anikiwe Umtana Watando. That's the full name. Wow. Amangwevo is the grey haired clan. Uh Umtana is a child. Watando of love. So the grey haired people are given a child of love. Wow. And he did that to assert Basically my position in the mm. family Because I think there was something in him Even though I never really got to speak to him about it Because he passed away when I was nine But I think there was something in him That felt like it was important To assert What my position would be in the family mm. And he was like This is a child of love mm. to this clan mm. um, But went to school And very interesting things happened there Because on my first day of school And I don't know if I'm now I'm giving you a little extra from no your please go ahead <laughs> i love this yeah um, on my first day of school my mother made me wear a polka dot a blue polka dot dress mm. um and when i went th- to school i saw everybody in school uniform so i already noticed that i am not wearing what everybody else is wearing mm. and when i got to the classroom I sat down and the children who were sitting next to me started whispering, don't sit next to her. Mm. And they started moving away. And in my mind, I am just thinking, it's the stress. Sure. It's the stress, you know. <laughs> so I go back home fuming to my mother and I said to her, I want my school uniform. I don't want to wear this dress again. <laughs> yeah, thinking that that was the reason I why. I thought it must be the problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, And in essence, I was really going to my mother saying to her, I felt different today and I don't want to feel that again. Sure. And just to to, to articulate, up until then, you had never felt this? Nothing. Absolutely Mm. nothing. Mm. I think probably the one stratification, social stratification I was introduced to, and I think a lot of us are introduced to as children as gender. Mm. So girls, boys. But I wasn't even black, Mm. you know. I probably only started understanding what the concept of blackness is sometime late primary. Mm. Because I never had white people mm. right so i never really the, the rest of everything else wasn't really juxtaposed in terms of race more juxta the juxtaposition was more in terms of culture yes um so anyway i digress <laughs> <laughs> um and then i continued going to school but I noticed that there was still uh, an enduring animosity. Mm. Um, even when I did make friends, we were friends, but my difference was never um, forgotten. Mm. So uh, it started an interesting trajectory because I started having a relationship with my self-esteem that I didn't have before because it lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered. Mm. And my parents didn't know what to do, quite mm. honestly, because they were affirming, affirming, affirming. But I was going back to society, and mm. I could, and as and I wasn't um, as resilient as I would, they would have liked, or yes. I would have liked. Um, shoo. Do I go on? <laughs> no, please go on. Please because I'm go just on. thinking. Oh, I don't even remember what the question is anymore. No, just about because you. I, this came off when you mentioned about the the whole concept of othering and how you only realize that in yes. primary school, which most people don't even realize it that young. Yes, yes. and you know the thing is, actually, I think um, 
a lot of us realize it when we're quite young, mm. but it's not necessarily um, the, the severity is different mm. because people will say you have a big head, you've mm. got big lips, oh, you're short, oh, mm. you're dark, you know. So the severity and the consequence basically varies depending on which body you're in. Mm. Um, so anyway, so I, 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 I went to primary school went to high school when I got to high school I would say that my confidence had deteriorated quite a bit mm. because also my understanding of attractiveness of beauty was I, I was positioning it against what was considered beautiful mm. and attractive and I started realizing very quickly that whatever this concept was it it didn't have me mm. in mind mm. <laughs> and then I became a lawyer because I wanted to become an actress and my father wanted me to become an accountant and we compromised and we ended up on <laughs> so law. Between becoming an a- accountant and an actress, you got into law. We got into law, Makes you know. <laughs> um, and that, that became our compromise. And then my legal career started. But when I... I'm just really telling you no, ooh, my please, whole journey. Please. And then when I went into... Um, I got accepted into the University of the Vatvatisrat. And about second year, I got into a, a community project called Street Law. And this is where we'd go and actually conscientize people and teach people mm. about their rights. And I think it began forming the kind of lawyer I wanted to be. Mm. And by the time I got to fourth year, I took street law now formally as a subject and then eventually I chose to become a prosecutor mm. because it was one of the subjects that really created a character composition in terms of what kind of lawyer I wanted to be. Mm. So I didn't go into law for the right reasons, really, but I think I went into prosecution for the right reasons. Mm. Yes. Sure. That's so fascinating. I mean, yeah, because so, so when you say that you went into, you didn't go into law for the right reasons, but you went into prosecution for the right reasons, mm. what do you mean by that? I think, you know, a lot of the times when you're dealing with um, black kids, mm. we don't really have references. Mm. You know, my, my father was an engineer, my mother, a filmmaker. So in really like, I grew up middle class. Mm. Um, but I did understand quickly when I got into a private school that black middle class and other kinds of middle class are not the same kinds of middle class. Yes. But by virtue of their education, it already allowed me to have access in a way that other black kids couldn't have access. Mm. Um, but this being said, I didn't know another lawyer in my family. Sure. So... When I went into law, I really went into it largely out of ignorance. My father understood why I was going into it, but I myself did not really know why I was going Mm. into it. I went into it because it was the thing to be done and hopefully it was going to secure my future. Mm -hmm. And really that was Mm. it. And I don't think that in terms of what I do now and the reasons why I do what I do Mm. now, Looking at the reasons of what I did then, I don't consider those to be the right reasons mm. then. Okay. Mm. So now I just want to, to take two things from your upbringing and just the awesomeness that you shared. So you said about how your mom was a filmmaker. Yes. Um, and I think there's a quote by somebody really well known that should not have left me their name. But the quote says that a country without a film is like a family without a photo album. 
And most filmmakers And specifically I imagine mm. the generation That your mother come from mm. Making film in South Africa at that particular time Was so much more than This Hollywood type of mm. filmmaking It was mm. more about like You know what I mean? So, so that sort of thing So mm. what sort of nuggets did you pick up from your mom um, You know and, and some of the work that she perhaps did And everything if you can just touch a bit on that Because I think that that's fascinating and important In a South African and African Historical context I think I only met my mother when I was about 27 years old. Sure. Um, Because when I was younger, sure, I mean, my parents have always been present in my life, Mm. but I never really appreciated what I had in her. Um, She actually groomed me into being a public speaker. She made me like do all of these speeches. And eventually it actually started also creating a, a trajectory in terms of how I started communicating and how I would package whatever my feelings are and how I just, you know, take them to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went into modeling, I got scouted, I became a model. I never really sat down with my mother and viewed her as what she should have been, a mentor. <laughs> you know, um, it wasn't that she didn't want to be. It's that I just did not access her mm. in that light. I accessed her as a mother. Mm. Sure. <laughs> I didn't access her as a mentor. And I think I only began realizing what could have been a missed opportunity at the mm. age of 27. Mm. So right now, my mother is my mentor. Sure. Because she she told stories in a time when there was a great deal of political strain mm. and political strain does endure, but the way it, it, the, its composition changes from time to time. Mm. And she was at a time when even being a black woman filmmaker was quite difficult in the eighties mm. because, you know, you were almost an invader in that space. Sure. Um, and in so many Ways she understands my experience, even though it's different, but at the same time, it's the same. Hmm. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't actually be feeling emotional this early. <laughs> there to me. I'm like, oh my gosh. But that's so, I mean, just so many nuggets from what, what you were saying and so forth. Now, um, I imagine that, you know, uh, okay, so speaking in a when you spoke about when you were a child and the way that other children made you feel, mm. um, I think there was a, an interview where you spoke about how um, perhaps we don't speak about uh, people's, you know, skin tones, races, all of that stuff in mm. school in the way that we should be. So mm. there's not enough of a educated process around albinism. I hope I said it correctly, you know? So wh- what are your thoughts around that? Um, you know, where that's concerned, because perhaps, the way that children reacted to you was because there was no understanding. There was no, you know, it was kind of like, oh, different run, you know. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts around that? And also for parents who have children who um, who, uh, who are albino. Who have albinism. Who have albinism. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, you know what? I just, but I do want to just say, Tando, I do mm. actually want to be really frank and open about this. You know, mm. it's, it's a topic that, that I think is so important. You know, mm. as I mentioned to you, I'm from another part of the continent and mm. just seeing the way that things happen around the continent in mm. general. Mm. And I think that many people, even myself, you know, like mm. try to understand what's the right word to say, what's mm. not the right word to say. Mm. And so, and then people just get scared about it. So mm. if I make any mistakes, you can literally say, Lee, that's yeah. wrong. That's totally fine because I think it's a good, which is why at the beginning I said, you know, a lot of there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to unpack, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of, okay, let's just start with the the terminology. Yes. Um, albino, I w- I'm not going to just say it's wrong because it's contested. Okay. But for me, mm. when you look at the term albino, I mean, for instance, in Europe, there was a time when they would say, hey, you know, I saw an albino and they would be talking about an animal. And then as time sure. progressed, they'd say, I saw an albino and they'd be talking about a person. But you're saying you're having the same sentence and you really don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, and when you're looking at the term albinism, it can be a plant, it can be an animal, or it could be, I mean, albino, it could be a plant, an animal, or a human being. And I think also because of my history as a black woman, mm. having a history where you're being disassociated from your humanness, you never want labels that could lead to that. Sure. So person with albinism is my preference. Person with albinism. Yes. Okay. Sure. No, thank you for um, setting me straight um, and for that, you know. And I think that quite a lot of people are just going to be relieved to actually know what the, mm. you know, correct way to go around that. So, mm. so how do you, you know, so how do we, because like just to go back to the question with regards to in school and how this is taught yes. in school. Um, now, when I, I'm just curious, the interview you're talking about, was I with the minister? No. Okay. (laughs) Because um, in terms of that, um, that's at least, I remember that particular discussion. Mm. And what I was really saying is, I mean, people were talking about inclusive education. Mm. And inclusive education is really creating an educational setup that doesn't make anybody feel different within that setup Mm. and deals with people's challenges Mm. in a way where when the structure deals with whatever challenges you Mm. have, whether it's sight whatever the case may be, mobility, whatever the case may be, it it deals, the structure deals with challenges in a way that allows the people with challenges to not feel like they have challenges, Mm. you know? Um, So the challenges don't become an obstacle because the structure is created in a way where the challenges don't become an obstacle. So I, as a woman with albinism, because sight was my major problem Mm. and I couldn't get spectacles to rectify this particular challenge what happened is they would enlarge my papers they would give me extra time in order to position me as Mm. if I didn't have this challenge to begin Mm. with Um, so that's the first element of it I think the the concept of inclusive education needs to be interrogated and implemented Mm. um, and kind of made you need to mainstream the concept of otherly abledness. Yes. Um, that's the first thing. And secondly, I think also in terms of diversity and inclusion, I do think these concepts need to be targeted in schools. They mm. need to really kind of be taught. Um, but what I was talking about then is <sighs> when it comes to albinism, if you're going to teach about albinism Mm. you can't just teach albinism in isolation you need to teach children about albinism as a variation of skin Mm. so you will teach children that dark skin that's what happens light skins this is what happens or whatever the case may be Mm. because if you're a dark-skinned person or Mm. a pigmented person actually when you get sunburned, you get something called, I think it's melanoma, melanonia. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the proper word for mm-hmm. it. 
but as a person with albinism, you get skin cancer. So you do have different responses, but you're teaching mm. about skin. So you're only teaching about the variation. You don't have to other anybody in the room. I like that. You yes. know, the, the 10-year-old who's sitting there and they're like, well, you've got albinism and ABCD and we keep quiet about everybody else mm. because it kind of makes it seem like you and you, whatever condition you have is abnormal. Mm. And actually it's part of the issues that mm. I have because scientifically mm. albinism is kind of, it's explained as a, um, it's a genetic, there's a word for it. I haven't used it in a long time. So I forget what the actual thing, cause I used to just say it's a, a genetic condition, mm. but they'll say it's a genetic abnormality or they'll say it's a, a genetic disease. Which or the titling is wrong. Exactly. Or beginning. a genetic disorder. Yes. And, and then we, we, we don't interrogate this because mm. we say it's scientific terminology. Mm. Um, but my issue with that is once you start saying that a state of being is abnormal, mm. you're saying almost as though it's not natural, you mm. know. Um, and I never understood it mm. because I never go to the beach and look at white sand and say, that white sand is abnormal. It should be brown sand. You know, I would never do that. I would never do that, right? Yeah. I'd never look at white roses and say, oh my goodness, those white roses mm. need to be painted red. That is abnormal, mm. you know? I look at white roses, I understand that they are different mm. from red roses, but they, it's just diverse. Mm. Nature is just diverse. Mm. And to say that a state of being is a disorder or an abnormality. Mm. It's to be unobservant of nature sure. because nature prides itself in diversity. But when you talk about normalcy, it's a culture language. It's, it has nothing to do with nature. nature. I like that. We, as in terms of culture, decide what is normal and what is abnormal. Mm. But this genuinely is a figment of our mm. imagination. Mm. Wow, I love that. You know, as you're speaking, I just realized, and I think you've actually said it before about how you live in such a awesome, um, you know, intersect, mm. um, you know, as black woman from Africa, you know, mm. um, our existence is mm. just a lot more challenging, mm. not in a, you know, woe is us, but it's just mm. the reality, but we overcome, you know, mm. is a lot mm. more challenging than perhaps uh, maybe a white male in the states of yes. a certain class or whatever the yes. case may be. So, yes. you know, um, so with regards to that, I think that one of the other things that when it comes to the concept of black woman and black beauty and being from Africa, I love the fact of how in the fashion industry, like you were saying about how you just want to be able to have your own hair, yes. you know, which is just the struggle yes. of black, you know, me sitting here with a wig. Oh. <laughs> Let me just say before people shoot, it's just cause you know, anyway, but you know what I mean? Mm. You just want to be able to, I can't believe I outed myself like that, but you just, <laughs> you just want to be able to have your own kind of, you know, um, kinky hair you know mm -hmm. you speak about that quite a lot or you want to have your eyebrows the way that you have your eyebrows you don't want to have to look like somebody else to be accepted mm -hmm. you know and i think that mm -hmm. this is a, a bigger question and conversation with regards to how black beauty is perceived and everything mm -hmm. and this whole conversation of inclusion and diversity in fashion and mm -hmm. you know and like and you know all of this 
other stuff, you know? (laughs) So for you just working in the international fashion industry and Mm. everything we mentioned, like the Pirelli calendar Mm. too, which is fantastical by the way. Um, you know, she was in the Alice in Wonderland theme, um, (laughs) you know, from the Pirelli calendar to, you know, being on the cover of Vogue. Mm. How do you ensure that, because you, you clearly have a strong voice and you have strong ideals. Mm. How do you ensure that even in all of that and in that sort of industry where people want to say, do this, do that, be like this, be like that. This is what's beautiful. This is what's not beautiful. How do you ensure that you stay enough? Oh, I forgive myself for the battles I don't win. Mm. I have compassion over those because I take those quite hard. Mm. Um, and I understand. And I think this is the thing. It's like, you know, you just said, oh, well, I've got a, wee- a wig on. And mm. <laughs> it's that we when we're moving into these spaces, the issue isn't about our beauty choices. You know, we're not trying to judge one another's beauty choices because we have a variety of those. And Mm. actually agency is one of the most important things Mm. that I feel, especially as a woman who has more than one marginalized Mm. social identity. Agency is one of the most empowering things in this process. But I can tell you, it is one of the most exhausting things. I mean, somebody said to me, like, maybe sometimes you just need to just do projects and don't think so much, you know, just don't think so much. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I feel like the first identity I need to look into is my identity as a woman. Mm. And that already is quite, women's bodies are quite contested in in this industry. And to try and have sovereignty over your body on whether you want to take your clothes off or you don't want to take your clothes off. A lot of the times people feel like they need to make that decision for you. Mm. And that is the first part of my identity that I kind of need to ensure sovereignty over. Usually the first place I look into are contracts. Mm. Contracts tend to make you wave your sovereignty Hmm. and waive your agency. So read them carefully and try (laughs) and amass as much bargaining power through Mm. your contract as you can, Mm. because you don't always have a lot of bargaining power to work with. Mm. Secondly, race. And that is obviously the issue around my hair, Mm. but also in terms of story and Mm. representation. You have to also look at the stereotypes that deal with race Mm. and the presentation of Mm. race. And that's another thing. And Mm. then Africa. Yeah. You know, (laughs) because again, you deal with a lot of stereotypes, especially when I... I'm dealing with media outside of Africa. Mm. I have to take into account that if they ask me something about albinism in Africa, I am both African and I have albinism. So I'm protected over both those identities. That must be exhausting. (laughs) It is. It is. It really is. Mm. But I do think that in, in whatever projects I do, as I said, I forgive myself for the battles I don't win. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate the battles that I do win. But whatever it is I can control, I try and do so to the best of my ability, really to just enhance agency. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your no, question. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I literally feel like I should just be talking to you every day and then write a book of like these awesome <laughs> inspirational quotes and just be like, yes, darling, I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that that's quite, yeah, no, it's really awesome. Um, you know, 
you know, as you were, you know, as we've been having this conversation, I keep thinking, um, this whole word keeps coming up in my mind, like mm. purpose, 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 mm. purpose, you know? Mm. And, you know, there's that scripture that says, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. And I kind of can, and, Correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of feel that on one hand, you have this life that is just incredible. We've already spoken about your mm. amazing um, kind of accolades and everything. And we haven't gone into detail with them because I think that there's just so much, you know, I want to know the person behind it. Mm. So all these awesome accolades and you've done fantastically well, you know. Thank you. Um, you know, I wish I was a prosecutor just so I could <laughs> pretend, <laughs> you know, win an argument with my sisters, nonetheless. Um you know, so you've got all these amazing accolades and you do all these awesome things. And even when we were downstairs coming to the studio, this lady looked at you, she goes, oh, you're a model, you know, you're, you're obviously beautiful. And, you know, all of these awesome things. But I also, as you're talking about how you deal with international media, you know, mm. you're fighting two battles. So mm. you, you, you fight more battles than what perhaps the average person may have to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. do you ever feel that? Because it seems as though like you've just been given this crown where you have to deal with this. Mm. You have to, you know. Mm. So what are you, what are your thoughts around purpose? Are there any times when you're just like, I'm just so tired. I just want to be Tando. I just want to like whatever run in the field with daisies. I just it happens you know, a lot. Yeah, yeah. And happens. and how do you get past that sort of? I mean, I remember to be honest with you, I said to somebody very close to me, I said I feel I feel like my body is heavy. Sure. And he's like, what do you mean? Mm. I'm like, I feel like each time I have a project, I Mm. feel the weight of my body. Mm. Because I feel all of these social stratifications. I have a lot of history Mm. trapped in my body. And I have to look at ways on how to... This is the interesting thing. is As much as you have compounded prejudice, Mm. but when you break one barrier, it's a compounded break in barriers Mm. you know it's like a multiple victory Mm. and that is it's a wonderful thing Mm. but sometimes decisions are not that easy so i go back to my values because i think my purpose a lot is aligned to my values Mm. why did i start something now when i started with Modeling. I mm. said, oh, I want to I wanna represent albinism mm. in a positive way. And people don't really understand my journey from there because people focus on, she said she wants to represent albinism in a positive way. But when I tell them the rest of the story, I think, I don't know, for whatever reason, they get stuck there. Because I said to them, this is where I started purpose branding. Because I said, I want to represent albinism in a positive way and a lot of the decisions that I made because I used to color my eyebrows and my eyelashes Mm. and when I started moving into bigger spaces I started asking myself questions about representation and I started saying to myself I think I'm afraid of how I look I need to be able to show my eyebrows pale, my Mm. eyelashes pale, because those are the unique characteristics of albinism. And if I say I want to represent albinism in a positive way, how do I do that if I'm afraid to show it? Mm. You know, started off there. But then as time went on, I started understanding what I'm actually saying. I'm not saying I want to represent albinism in a positive way. I'm saying I want inclusive representation, Mm. diversity, equal opportunity, all of these things that we're speaking about now. I didn't have the language for it. Mm. But in essence, that was the core of it. And now when I do projects, I look at whether those things are there. So I will avoid, and this is not always possible, but I will avoid a project that says, we want to cast you as 
just a, a, a let's say a, a doctor. No stereotypes, nothing, right? But the doctor meets um, the stories, but the villain is a Nigerian drug dealer. I avoid that because it stereotypes a group that I consider to to be a vulnerable group, mm. right, in South Africa. Mm. In Nigeria, whatever happens there, that's, such a powerful that's, statement. that's, 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 yes. that's its own thing, right? Mm. Whatever people consider to be reality or social issues or whatever, my path as an artist is to narrate a story that brings us together, mm. right? I want inclusive representation. So I would say... <sighs> please don't go for the same old story because I understand that the same old story, however people can say, but it's reality, but the same old story imprisons you. Mm. It imprisons your identity. It makes your skin and just everything in you a prison. Mm. And I don't want to be complicit of that. So as much as I fight my own stereotypes to say, no, I will not be cast as the multi killing victim uh, or the multi killed victim mm. no I w- the, yes in terms of albinism we've got a problem with multi killing mm. and please don't get me wrong i have i'm not saying that these stories should not be told but i have a problem with stories that are stereotype where it's the only story that is told <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm sorry that's <laughs> That is my only yeah. thing. Please, can we just get like some sort of Nobel Peace Prize just sent <laughs> to you like right now? <laughs> Honestly, sure, you've really, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to find something clever to say at the end of that, but I'm just like, you've literally just like, period, as they'll say in America, full stop. <laughs> That's what it is, you know? Mm. Which is incredible. Yeah, sure. So, um, just uh, before, are you so sad that we're like enclosing, <laughs> you know? But just um, with regards to, I think that perhaps maybe people within the continent are not very familiar with how you actually got into the modeling Modeling. industry. And I think that that's such a beautiful story, you know? Mm. So I'd like if you maybe would share that a bit. Okay. So I was an aspirin prosecutor and I had just gotten my gig as um, an aspirin at the National Prosecuting Authority. So I was really also just starting out as a lawyer. And a couple of months in, I go to Crystal Mall and I meet Khar Johan Kutsia. Mm. I don't even know who he is. Mm. And to be quite honest, I don't even care. <laughs> I mean, I'm just walking, just trying to go watch a movie. And this man says, hey, you know, would you like to do a shoot? And I say to him, a shoot. And he was the fourth person mm. who had asked me because I think I had mm. about three requests prior to him. And each time I thought it was ridiculous. And this time was no different. But the only thing that changed what happened there is that when I went to my sister, I said to her, oh, you know, you know, this guy just came up to me and he said, oh, he wants me to model and do a shoot. Can you imagine me, a lawyer, doing that? Ha, 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 ha. And my sister said, you know, I really don't see what's so funny about that. Because this could be a platform for you to change stories around albinism and show albinism in a way where we're not just hearing about oppression and prejudice. And, you know, like this is a a, a space where you can actually start showing a more positive story. And then I went into it, went to Khart, and I gave him this hectic political. You're like, listen. You know? (laughs) And he was just like, okay, okay, okay. 
And then this is where we actually started our partnership. Mm. And I said to him, you know, I want to represent albinism in a positive way. And as I said, at that time, I myself was oversimplifying mm. the complexities of representation mm. and the complexities of multiple identities. I had no idea what I was getting mm. myself into. But I do think that I, I went into it with a designer who had the consciousness to allow me to find my path, you know. And we collaborated and did amazing things with one another. And that's really how the whole thing started. I mean, mm -hmm. I couldn't even walk in heels. He actually said to me, he's like, I'd like you to close the show. And I said, I'm like, I can't walk in heels. I can't. I can't do it, you know. Yeah. I'm like, and he's like, but you're a lawyer. I mean, I'm like, no, no, no. When you're running around the the, the, the courtroom, it's, it's a flat like suits, <laughs> the flats, pumps. Yeah. I was very proud of my pumps, guys. Yeah. I'm like pumps because I have to run from one court to another to interpret it. I'm like, mm -mm. yeah. And then I had to learn how to walk in heels in two weeks. Yeah. And um, and that's really kind of like how our journey started. I think neither of us ever envisioned mm. that it would end like this yeah, yeah. sure that's or it would continue like it would continue this. <laughs> like this exactly yeah. <laughs> so i want i want to ask a question just in closing um mm. you know and you, and as i've been open you can really guide me around this question mm. um i think there was a part in the conversation where you spoke um about blackness or the traditional idea of what blackness is in the form mm. of culture more than anything else mm. you know mm. and as a person with albinism mm. your skin is not pigmented yeah so this conversation mm. around blackness mm. in your body, mm. how do you, 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 do you get what I mean? Because mm. traditionally, you know, I mean, obviously we know with the slaves, it's like you had people, like if you have a darker skin tone, you're on the mm. outside. So I clearly will be on the outside. Mm. <laughs> if you're like, mm. a, you know, lighter, like all of that stuff. Mm. Um, mm. You know, in South Africa, you saw the separation of colored, black, all of that stuff. You yes. know, th the closer you are to white, the more beautiful you were seen. These yes. are all things that were sitting there. Mm. So I just want to, understand from your perspective that must be so complex do you know my blackness has never been despite whatever people have said mm. um in terms of oh are you white etc etc it's never been a, a confusion because i i see blackness as some as an race as an institution it's an institution that is beyond color mm -hmm. right and i was born in a body and in a situation where I live the consequences of that institution. So it doesn't matter what I want to call myself, mm. I live the consequences of being black. So I think I started understanding really because, I mean, I think you had things like, I think it was polygyny, um, eugenics, all of these things that tried to prove race. Um, and here you had people with albinism who were an inconvenient factor <laughs> in this, like, <laughs> in this whole up science thing, experiment. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It really was that. It was like you're messing up this experiment, yeah. you know. Um, but I think this is the I think this is the interesting thing about it is that, and that's why I said the issue is how we deal with difference because I was in a, I I was born in a body that had the privilege to understand that mm. because. I could see that in terms of blackness, I didn't have the color, but I was facing the consequence. Sure. And in terms of me having albinism, the issues around blackness was about color, but I was facing the contradiction of basically color in my community and how that was 
treated, mm-hmm. you know. And so I kind of just was in this body that understood that, you know, beyond everything, the issue is how we deal with difference. And I'll give you one last example of what I mean. When H&M came with Coolest Monkey mm. in the jungle, and I watched South Africa and the whole world really go up in flames and anger because we understand the history of black people and black people being compared to apes and monkeys, etc. Mm. And rightfully so, South Africa really, there was an uproar. But I watched this interesting contradiction. Because the word for albinism in Isikhosa is monkey. It's inkau. Sure. And I thought to myself, hmm. And I realized it's beyond the issue. Sure. beyond race. It's beyond gender. It's beyond nationality, mm. ethnicity, disability. The issue is that we really need to introspect on how we deal and respond to difference. That mm. is the core of it. So I think this is what this body has taught me. And I think that's where we're going to end this conversation. Tando, thank you so much for spending time with us. At the beginning, I said that you were my hero, not because of all the amazing things that you've done, you know, and all the accolades, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because just because of your enoughness, I'm just going to keep, I'm going (laughs) to coin that phrase (laughs) because of your enoughness, you know, Um, and I actually want to actually share the quote uh, that you mentioned. You were quite shocked that I actually went out and I made, like I'm that, I made an entire thing. (laughs) So um, there was an interview and this is, these were Tando's words and I'm going to close with them. He said, then being beautiful, stop being something where you had to hear it from somebody else. It was a decision I had to make. Yes. So, yes. Thank you so much for spending time with us. You're still my hero, but now you're my hero who's my friend. Head to lifepodcasts.fm to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in Africa State of Mind. Subscribe to this podcast at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.